0: well good morning everyone please open your bibles with me and uh, we're going to begin by reading our text for today mark chapter 4 verses 35 to 41 the word of god says this on that day when evening had come he said to them let us go across to the other side and leaving the crowd they took him with them in the boat just as he was and other boats were with him have you still no faith and they were filled with great fear and said to one another who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him who is jesus by the sovereign inspiration of the holy spirit the four gospel writers leave us in no doubt as to his identity we've been working our way through mark's gospel and in the opening chapter and verse he lays the nature of christ out for us very clearly mark 1 verse 1 the beginning of the gospel of jesus christ the son of god who is jesus he is the christ the messiah who would come to save his people from their sins but he's no mere human savior he's the son of god the second person of the eternal Trinity—Father, Son, and Holy Spirit—in the fifth century, the Chalcedonian Creed was written out to to outline this biblical teaching. And the opening paragraph of the Chalcedonian Creed says this: "We then, following the holy fathers, all with one consent, teach men to confess one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ." the same perfect in Godhead and also perfect in manhood, truly God and truly man. This creed written five centuries after Christ walked the earth simply articulates the clear teaching of scripture. But if all we had was the first four chapters of Mark's gospel, we could come to no other conclusion than Jesus is God incarnate, God the Son in human flesh, Truly God and truly man. In his humanity, he was just like us, except as the Chalcedonian Creed goes on to say, in all things like unto us, without sin. So we see that he is the Christ, the promised Messiah from the line of King David. He was physically baptized by John in the waters of the Jordan River. He faced the temptations of Satan he ate with sinners and tax collectors emphasis there on the eating and he had half brothers and half sisters whom he grew up with who simply thought of him as their crazy older brother we also recognize his divine nature in chapter one verses two and three mark quotes from the old testament he says as it is written in isaiah the prophet behold i send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way? The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. This is God's word, that he was sending a messenger to prepare the way for his arrival. Uh, this messenger was John the Baptist, but when John points to Jesus, we know that this is the arrival of God himself but it's not only john's testimony for the father speaks at jesus baptism declaring him uh, to be or sorry declaring to him you are my beloved son with you i am well pleased jesus divinity is shown throughout the following chapters it's demonstrated physically in his extraordinary healing ministry and also in his exercising the demons but also through his words he declared a man's sins forgiven something only god could do he declared himself to be lord of the sabbath something only god could claim now it's often suggested when that when the divine son took on human flesh he he emptied himself by completely suppressing his divinity he didn't use his divine power at all that's what it's supposed it's also suggested that uh, the only means by which jesus performed his miraculous works was the holy spirit empowering christ's human nature in mark 3 and the, the parallel account in matthew chapter 12 we see that the religious leaders uh, were claiming jesus did his work by an unclean spirit which was an absolutely grievous charge but jesus did his work through the holy spirit now, it is true that his divinity was veiled in his humanity, but Jesus never stopped being the divine Son or exercising the power that he possessed as the divine Son. According to Hebrews 1, verse 3, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the power of his word if jesus stopped exercising his divine power for one single moment then the whole of creation would cease to exist when I mean, just think about that next christmas when you reflect upon the babe in the manger this little one holds all things together and keep that in mind as we reflect upon jesus asleep on the boat in our passage this morning what we need to understand is that jesus is god incarnate and in his incarnation his divine power was was exhibited but always in line with the will of the father when people hurled abuse at him on the cross to save himself he could have wielded the infinite power of heaven but he did not because he had come to give his life as a ransom for his people yet there were many times during his ministry uh, that it was to the will of the father that christ exercised his divine power showing compassion through miraculous healings and strengthening his disciples by revealing his true personhood also when we consider the work of the spirit in jesus life it reflects the bigger picture of the work of the trinity in jesus divine nature he is one with the father and the spirit and when the father works so does the son and so does the spirit while jesus human nature is empowered by the holy spirit the spirit's work is not apart from the work of the son jesus truly is the god man And we come today to a beginning of a series of events in his ministry where this is clearly on display. From the end of Mark 4 all the way through chapter 5, we're left with the stark reality that as as one writer has stated, Jesus is Lord over nature, over demons, over disease and over death. Before we get into our text though, just turn with me to Psalm 107. Here is the divine perspective behind the events on the boat that evening. In this psalm, we find a prayer of thanksgiving to the Lord for all that he has done for his people. Verse 1. It says i give thanks to the lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever and what follows is a, a series of examples of divine faithfulness and deliverance I then look down to verse 23 and i'm going to read from there until verse 30 some went down to the shi- to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits end. They cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm to be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Just allow those words to run through your minds as we turn now to Mark 4. Here, the disciples learn that the man before them is also the divine master of the sea. Our passage in Mark 4 begins then with the ride across the sea. In Luke's account, he simply says of Jesus that one day he got into a boat with his disciples. That's Luke 8 verse 22. But Mark specifies that it was the same day on which Jesus had been preaching uh, to the crowd from the boat. On that day when evening had come says mark now that seems pretty clear doesn't it yet despite this clarity of mark's statement you will find even the most reputable of faithful christian scholars trying to to pacify the critics who come up with all sorts of ways to pull the bible apart for instance one very good commentary makes this concession and i quote since it is unlikely that the present account began in this manner this may be a mark and seam tying the present account with what has preceded. Somehow it's unlikely. Well, how is that? How, how can this commentator make such a statement? Well, because he thinks that Mark, in putting his gospel account together, was using stories of Jesus' life that had, had similar episodes, similar themes, and that they'd been collected together previously... That Mark had then edited them into the way that he wanted to tell them. So this this writer clarifies with a, a comment about all the events Mark records from verse thirty-five through to the end of chapter five. Let me quote: the common elements involved are the presence of Jesus, the disciples, a boat, the sea, a miracle, a christological confession of some sort. These common elements are probably what brought these stories together whether it was Mark who did this or someone before him is impossible to say. End quote. So what this commentator is saying is that Mark has not recorded these events because that's just simply the way they happened. But because they got similar themes. There's a boat. There's some water. There's a, a miracle. That's why they're together. But is there any basis for this at all? well when we look to sorry to matthew's gospel we do understand that he has deliberately grouped events together to, to emphasize certain theological themes this is this current event is a case in point in matthew's gospel he recorded jesus calming of the storm in a different context than straight after the telling of the kingdom parables however the language matthew uses to describe when it happened is ambiguous and it shows that he's recalling something that happened at a different time. But when any of the gospel writers are are trying to make a chronological point, they're very specific. And we have no reason whatsoever to doubt what they tell us. In this instance, Mark very clearly says, on that day. And so, to infer that Mark does not mean what he says here or to infer that the events of chapter 4 and chapter 5 are only there because they're linked thematically, is to lift oneself above the text and above the authority of the Holy Spirit who inspired the text to be written that way. And that is very dangerous ground. But moreover, I want you to understand that you have every reason to trust the Scriptures the bible is a god's word and because of that it is true and trustworthy you have every reason in the world to trust what god has written and you see if the bible is in error in minor matters then where is our confidence that it's reliable in major matters but if its words are trustworthy in minor matters such as the timing of the crossing the sea then we have every reason to trust it in more weighty matters, like the gospel itself. So after Jesus finished teaching the crowds in parables, he said to his disciples, let us go across to the other side. And the disciples responded by maneuvering the boat out into open water. In 1986, the remnant of a fishing boat was discovered in the sea of galilee and by all accounts it dates uh, back to the first century now it's obviously not the same boat that jesus traveled on because we know that boat made it to the other side but it helps us visualize in our minds um, what things were like on the day of jesus trip the boat uh, which is currently on display in an israeli museum uh, is about eight meters long two meters wide and about Uh, one and a half meters deep and with those dimensions it could fit up to 15 people and so we've no reason to doubt that all 12 apostles were in the boat with jesus interestingly mark also mentions at the end of verse 36 that other boats were with him now it's not clear who was in these boats the implication from what we've just read throughout chapter 4 though is that these were other disciples other than the 12 however this is the last we hear about these boats now it's possible that when the weather turned later that evening they turned as well and headed back to shore it's also possible they made it across after jesus had calmed the storm but because they played no part in what happened um, mark doesn't mention them any further we simply don't know but it simply doesn't matter what it does do however is affirm that some in the crowd truly wanted to hear more of what jesus had to say but moreover even though this detail had no real impact upon the greater things that happened it shows that mark is recalling something that did actually happen and in that sense it is further testimony to the historical truthfulness of this account now when jesus and the disciples began their ride across the sea the weather was good but all that soon changed as we read then about the raging of the sea now the sea of galilee is notorious for sudden changes in weather conditions its topography means that higher winds can rapidly and unexpectedly come down from the the steep surrounding hills and the waters can become fierce The power of the storm is emphasised by Mark's use of the adjective great. It's not just a windstorm, it was a great windstorm. The New American Standard Bible translates it as a fierce windstorm, while the NIV has it as a furious squall. The storm's power is also understood by the fact that the waves were breaking into the boat and it was already filling up with water. Now, since they'd set out from Capernaum, uh, it's probable that the boat they were in belonged to the business of Peter, Andrew, James and John. Despite sailing on a familiar vessel and despite having many years of experience on familiar waters what they encountered that evening was life-threatening and it caused tremendous panic among these experienced fishermen fear is what was occupying the minds of the disciples at that moment but what about jesus look at the contrast in verse 38 but he was asleep in the stern sorry he was in the stern asleep on the cushion he was asleep in the back of the boat now these boats had an elevated stern and it seems jesus was sleeping underneath that section and the cushion perhaps being part of the boat's equipment such as a bag of ballast something like that it's sometimes um, remarked that jesus sleep through the storm reflected his trust in god king david wrote of his own faith in god which allowed him to rest calmly at night for instance psalm 3 verse 4 i lay down and slept i woke again for the lord sustained me while that's something that we may experience as believers well i don't think that's what we're to draw from jesus sleeping here for one thing jesus fell asleep before the storm hit right the waters were still calm when he went to bed Another thing is that when Jesus wakes up he doesn't call upon God to deal with a storm he does it himself. I think instead that Jesus being asleep is better taken as a sign of his genuine humanity and that given the day Jesus had just experienced it was not surprising that he was fast asleep. You see that day had included all the teaching that's recorded in Mark 4 uh, but it also included what happened at the second half of mark 3 when when he'd been teaching the crowds from inside a building or a house and he'd healed a, a demon possessed man who was blind and mute that that fact we pick up from matthew 12 and uh, we also read that he was hindered by the scribes and his own family it had been a big day and he was physically and mentally exhausted one of the heresies that presented itself uh, towards the end of the first century uh, was known as docetism stemmed from a word meaning to seem and it suggested that uh, christ's body only appeared to be a real human body it seemed to be a human body but really it was just kind of a spiritual apparition there was no physicality to it at all in his second letter the apostle john addresses this issue to john verse 7 for many deceivers have gone out into the world those who do not confess the coming of jesus christ in the flesh such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist we must hold to the true divinity and true humanity of christ but we do so because those truths are affirmed in god's word And the fact that Jesus was asleep during the storm is evidence of his genuine humanity. Yet even here, there may also be an allusion to Jesus' divinity. Listen to these words from Isaiah 51, verses 9 and 10. Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord, awake as in days of old the generations of long ago was it not you who cut rahab in pieces who pierced the dragon was it not you who dried up the sea the waters of the great deep who made the depths of the sea away for the redeemed to pass over the disciples do not fully grasp that the one who they are trying to rouse from slumber is the one who has infinite power over the waters. Unfortunately, however, what some of the of Jesus' disciples garnered from Jesus sleeping in the midst of the storm was simply Jesus' lack of concern for their welfare. Continuing in Mark 4:38, we read, "And they woke him and said to him teacher do you not care that we are perishing?' Some tried to soften this statement by suggesting it should be understood as a request for help but i don't think we need to do that i think it reflects the genuine feelings of some of the disciples on the boat at that time they were terrified and while they faced certain death to their amazement jesus just continued snoring away i think that fits in well with the raw honesty of what's recorded elsewhere in the gospels about how the disciples constantly stumbled in the way they spoke to jesus the apostle's were extraordinarily humble in recording their failings within the pages of scripture and we should be extremely thankful for that because in seeing the grace of God at work in their lives we we can be encouraged to know that that same grace is available to all of us who call on the Lord as well even though we regularly stumble now i say that this reflects what some of the disciples were feeling because in both matthew and luke's accounts there are different words recorded matthew eight twenty five states and they went and woke him saying save us lord we are perishing then in luke eight twenty four, we read and they went and woke him saying master master we are perishing so did they accuse him or did they ask him did they call him master or did they call him lord is this a contradiction not at all It simply explains the chaos of the situation. The disciples on the boat were petrified. They all wanted Jesus to wake up and save them. But over the roaring wind and the impact of the waves, their shouts reflected their different attitudes. Some called upon Jesus as teacher, others as master, still others as Lord. Some pleaded with him to wake up, some prayed and still others denounced his apparent lack of care now this charge was completely unfounded of course the disciples later came to acknowledge that as well one of the men on the boat was the apostle john and in his gospel account he wrote of jesus in chapter 13 verse 1 having loved his own who were in the world he loved them to the end christ's care for his disciples was ultimately displayed at the cross after his death and resurrection the disciples were able to look back on the events that took place during jesus ministry and see things in a new light to see that jesus did care for them and more than they knew at that time you see within jesus ministry there were moments in which he delayed in order that he might reveal more of his identity to his people you recall that's what happened in the death of jesus friend lazarus in john chapter 11 verse 4 we're told of jesus response in learning the news of his sick friend but when jesus heard it he said this illness does not lead to death it's for the glory of god so that the son of god may be glorified through it and so jesus delayed going to see Lazarus then in verses 14 to 15 Jesus told the apostles Lazarus has died and for your sake I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe but let us go to him and we know what happened after that don't we Jesus revealed his glory by raising Lazarus from the dead something only God could do coming back to the boat that's exactly what we see there jesus allowed himself to sleep due to physical exhaustion but he knew uh, that would also lead to a greater purpose of revealing his divine nature to his disciples the disciples would soon understand that the one who was asleep under the boat's stern was the very agent of creation the very one who was currently sustaining the whole of that creation by his divine will at that very moment in jesus response we too recognize that while he is truly man he is also truly god and so from the raging of the sea we witness the rebuke against the sea here's jesus response in verse 39 and he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea peace be still and the wind ceased and there was a great calm this is a double Miracle. At his word, the wind stopped. But given the tempest, you wouldn't expect the waters to ease down immediately. Yet, at Jesus' command, that's exactly what happened. At his rebuke, nature responded. The impact of Jesus' declaration is noted by Mark in his second use of the adjective great. The great windstorm has been transformed into a great calm just as the windstorm was no mere trifle but a near on catastrophic event for the disciples so too the extraordinary calm that was exhibited upon the waters from massive waves and the wind that you could not hear yourself speak over to pristine conditions not a hint of a breeze not a ripple on the water's surface here we see the divine power of the lord jesus christ even the most chaotic natural event is simply annulled by his word but after jesus finishes dealing with the elements he turns to his to deal with his disciples verse 40 he said to them why are you so afraid have you still no faith it was one thing to stand with christ when Christ was helping others, but nothing altogether when their own resources were depleted and they needed to trust in Christ's mercy. John MacArthur, in his commentary, explains it this way: unquote, "They knew he possessed divine power, having seen him perform miraculous healing for many others. Yet, when their lives were at stake, the inadequacy of their faith was exposed." End quote. We know that all too well don't we we can be strong in christ when we're seeking to help others but how is our faith when we are personally in need trials then become a means of testing and proving our faith you see it's all well and good to speak of how splendid a sailing vessel is but if it's never tested at sea how will anyone ever know for sure the disciples lack of faith in him is a recurring theme throughout the gospels but again it's something that reflects the apostles integrity in giving a true account of how they responded to jesus during his life at the heart of jesus response to the disciples is a desire for them to trust him because of who he is In reading these accounts, we might be tempted to wonder how on earth the disciples failed to trust in Christ. But we should be humble enough to realize that this is what happens every time we doubt God's goodness and God's power amid our own trials and troubles. And that being the case, even though we have more reason for faith in Christ than the disciples did at that point. As we sit here today in the year 2019, we have God's complete revelation at our fingertips. We have the Bible, the revealed and sufficient word of God, the full revelation of who Jesus is. In his second letter, the Apostle Peter spoke of the wonder of seeing Christ's glory revealed at the the Mount of Transfiguration. But then he said this, 2 Peter 1 verses 19 to 21 the disciples in the first century saw jesus glory displayed but peter says we have a greater assurance in the revelation of scripture because here we have the holy spirit inspired words that tell us exactly who christ is exactly what christ has done for us and exactly how we are to respond to him we read the scripture today we're left in no doubt that christ jesus is the god man and that he is completely faithful to place our trust in jesus rebuke against the sea is our affirmation now we should also remember the compassion that our lord exhibited to his disciples he challenged their trust in him but nevertheless he didn't abandon them and And then go and find new disciples the moment he landed on the shore. He remained faithful to his people. And in our own moments of weakness, we should find great comfort in that for ourselves. The Lord who saved us will sustain us. Now, we also need to be careful to read this passage as descriptive rather than prescriptive see the take-home message is not that god will always physically deliver us from every storm of life how many christians have lost their lives at sea the great hymn it is well with my soul was penned by a man who had just learned that his children had died when the passenger ship they were on went down in the atlantic ocean sometimes our deliverance is through death remember jesus words to the church in smyrna in revelation 2 verse 10 do not fear what you are about to suffer behold the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and for 10 days you will have tribulation be faithful unto death and i'll give you the crown of life you see our perspective is skewed if everything revolves around deliverance in this life for as believers our citizenship is in heaven god may physically deliver us but he may not does this mean he cares less or is not powerful enough of course not in romans 8 we are told that god works all things for the good of those who love him and the good that the apostle speaks of is to conform us to christ the believer's confidence is extended further as the apostle paul finishes that chapter with these extraordinary words for i am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of god in christ jesus our lord what great comfort believers have in these words In coming now to the final verse of our passage, the affirmation of Christ's identity is seen in the disciples' response. For while they were still struggling in their faith, Christ's action gave them an extraordinary revelation on the sea. So far, Mark has recorded a great windstorm, a great calm, and now there is a great Fear the disciples had a greater fear of jesus than they did of the storm this comes out because verse 41 literally says and they feared with great fear they should be rejoicing that christ did what they asked but instead there is great fear because in his actions christ has revealed his identity to them you see christ dealt with the windstorm and in his own means he didn't pray to god asking that the lord would deliver them from the tempest no he dealt with the raging sea himself and that's what terrifies the disciples what they had just witnessed was something only god could have done several old testament passages would have flooded into the minds of the disciples we've already heard this morning from psalm 107 what about these words? Psalm 65, which was read out earlier in the service. Listen to the verses 5 to 8 again. By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, the one who by his strength established the mountains, being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves. The tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs. That's Psalm 65. Or these words in Psalm 89, verses 8 and 9 O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you, you rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. The fear, that came over the disciples was simply this they knew that only the wind and the sea obey god and so if jesus displayed that power and that authority then he must be god they don't voice that thought at this precise moment but this is what they were thinking And getting us to reach that conclusion is certainly the focus of Mark's gospel from the very first verse. And of course, this is an extremely important revelation given all that Jesus had taught earlier that day. Two things are important to note here. First, like the parable of the farmer who scattered seed and then went home and slept. It reminds us that God is the one who will reveal his kingdom. God is the one who will reveal his saving sovereign reign in the lives of his people. And I raise this because it's interesting to consider who was on the boat that evening to witness Jesus' powerful display. I said, We've no reason to doubt that all 12 apostles were there, including one Judas Iscariot, the man who would later betray Jesus to the authorities judas was a man who had witnessed jesus close up for almost three years and yet his heart remained cold to christ why because it takes more than an external call of the gospel to experience genuine salvation sinners need the internal regenerating work of the holy spirit as they hear the word preached to them the spirit frees them from bondage to sin enabling them to repent and to turn to christ in faith and so let's be clear our job as believers is to proclaim the good news of jesus christ to everyone that is our marching order but we can do so with great confidence knowing that god will enable his people to respond judas iscariot is the prime example that no level of external proof of jesus identity will bring about salvation unless the spirit sovereignly warms a sinner's heart but there is a second aspect that relates to jesus teaching that day here it is the one who taught about kingdom matters is the king himself truly in jesus christ the kingdom of god has broken into this world In him the saving reign of God is revealed. As the disciples looked upon Jesus, they looked upon God incarnate. Not simply a man in whom God displayed his awesome power, but the divine Son of God in human flesh. Now I don't know if you've picked it up before, but in reading the account of this episode, there are many similarities to the account of the prophet Jonah. In both accounts, we have a man on a boat who was asleep at the time when a storm hits. In both accounts, we have a man awoken by terrified sailors, disgruntled at his supposed lack of concern. In both accounts, the storm miraculously comes to an end. But these similarities only highlight the differences. Jonah was asleep, tired after fleeing the task God had called him to do. Jesus was asleep, tired after doing the will of God. Jonah was a a foreigner to the men on the boat. Jesus had sovereignly called the men to be his chosen apostles. Jonah's storm ended when he was thrown off the boat into the raging sea. Jesus' storm ended when he spoke, declaring his divine authority over nature itself. In Jesus Christ... The kingdom of God has been revealed to this world because Jesus Christ is the divine king. There is no one comparable to him. He is the son of God, true God and true man and truly a trustworthy savior. So let us all look to him with the eyes of faith. Let's pray. dear father we thank you for what this passage has taught us about your son we thank you that we we see his divine nature on display we thank you that we see his human nature on display and in ways that we cannot understand both those natures dwelt in the one person of jesus christ who is our lord father help us to affix our eyes to him We pray your spirit would continue to work in each one of us to draw us to Christ. Father, we thank you for the compassion that we see displayed by Jesus to these these wavering disciples, that he did not discard them, but that he patiently taught them. Father, we thank you that that compassion is extended to us as well. In our moments where we waver, Help us to call upon your mercy. Help us to know that you are the Lord of compassion. But Father, draw us beyond that. Draw us in faithfulness to you. Help us in our relationship with Christ to be conformed to Christ. And Father, help us to look upon the trials that we experience in this life as means in which you can us to christ knowing that nothing happens outside of your sovereign control and father as we seek to be faithful to you help us to proclaim the good news of jesus christ the one who is truly god and truly man the one who has come to save people from their sins help us to proclaim this message to the world around us And give us great confidence that you will save those who belong to you. Father, help us to have our eyes affixed to Christ ever more tightly each and every day. And in his name we pray. Amen.